it's not yeah just ring, ringing up and saying hey Steph let's talk about talk about the time you, you nearly got killed it's all I knew Steph well enough to you know run it by her so in that way it's easier so you I ran it by Steph let's do this if you're willing enough to be open and honest I give you my word that I will do my very best to say the story in the right way Hello and welcome to the Writer's Hour. I'm your host, Adam Burnett, and with me is our producer, Sam Ferris. Hello, Sammy. G'day, AB. And this week we are speaking with another one of Australia's excellent sports writers. And this is a man who lets his heart take control of the pen when he's writing. You can really feel the emotion and the passion and the way he gets carried away in the moment with his words. Sammy, I am, of course, talking about Will Swanton from The Australian. AB, this is a great chat. Will is a real wordsmith. He almost has a wizardry level of writing. And over the next hour, he talks about his beginnings, his process, his writing style, and his passion for just sitting down and writing a good yarn. Two things stood out for me, AB, how after an interview, he gets out a pen and paper and immediately writes down the lead and how he works in two-hour bursts. He says, long concentration isn't my go. And I can relate to that. <laughs> yes, Sammy. Well, Will actually went in depth with us on two stories in this episode, one on horse racing superstar Winks, which had him in completely unfamiliar territory at Sydney's Rose Hill race course, and an awesome profile on Australia's surfing champ, Steph Gilmore, which is much more in Will's wheelhouse. They're both outstanding pieces for different reasons, I thought, and Will takes us through them and much more. Yep, AB, we will put both pieces in the episode notes. And while you're there, rate, review and subscribe to The Writer's Hour and follow us on Twitter. Just search The Writer's Hour. So from our end, it's a big thanks to Will Swanton for coming on the show. And without further ado, here he is. G'day, Will. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you going? Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. The place I thought we should get started is a pretty logical yep. spot to start. Um, yep. The Will Swanton career story. Can you give us the uh, the abridged version, maybe, where you started uh, out, how you came to be where you are today? So my dad was a journalist. Dad's family was all, you know, doctors and lawyers and that kind of thing. He was expected to go down that path. He told them all to get stuffed. He wanted to be a journalist. So he moved from you know, a nice area of Sydney up to Townsville to be a journalist. So anyway, so my... My dad had this love of words and a love of reading and a, and he, when I was in year 10 at high school, he was working for, I think it was The Sun that was, was back then up in Newcastle anyway, but he got me a weekend job covering the local, this is in Newcastle, rugby union competition. He'd drive me out to a Newcastle rugby game um, and I'd have to do a match report. All right, but I was, I was a pretty shy kid and loved writing and Dad and I would write little stories to each other all the time. But So I thought that would be fun, but it was bloody terrifying because I was a little shy year 10 kid, all these kind of big meathead rugby players up around Newcastle. And I'd, um, I'd sit there and I'd write. I loved the writing of the match report. You know, some big fat prop scored the match winner and the last couple of minutes and I up. So I did that for a few weeks, just did a bit of a match report, sent that to this old school sports editor called Wes Cornish, who I remember his office and there's a cigarette tray and he was that kind of, and he said, we need quotes. You've got to start getting quotes. I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to go and interview these blokes. <laughs> but so anyway, so that was every Saturday afternoon, Dad would drive me out there. And it was a beautiful time of our lives, you know, driving out there. And I'd be asking him questions like, "How do you? What do you? What's your? You know, what do you put in your lead? And what do you? 
all that kind of stuff. Um, and he was just my hero day because he, I know, he had said such a, such a love of that whole kind of thing. So that was terrific fun. But then the thought of getting quotes petrified me. And I still remember the first game when I had to go and walk up to the coach after it. And you know, it's not like it's an organised thing. It's just a country ground. And I had to go and walk up to the coach of the winning team. And so I go, my name's Will and I'm just doing a... But the coach was my school principal. <laughs> we should have made it easier because we had a, we had a little kind of in. But I was just terrified, and he, I mean, that was the most terrifying interview I've ever done. Oh, you yeah, say so you told me about, you know, geez, such and such had a good game and all that. From doing one interview, which worked out well, and seeing how much quotes actually helped a story, and good old Wes actually gave it a decent run on a page instead of, you know, three bars down the bottom. And we pick up the paper the next morning, got to go looking through it, and honestly, for some weeks there were four pars. And Dad would say, oh, top yarn. <laughs> but it was just fun, you know, and I really loved the – I played a lot of sport. I was a good cricketer and good tennis player and uh, beat Todd Woodbridge love and love when we were in the under-14s. I think yeah. Todd was about eight then probably, but still it, it counts, love and love. <laughs> Actually got more into cricket. I was in a few, you know, state junior squads and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of I started to think, well, I actually enjoy – writing about this stuff and talking about it and that stuff more than the actual actual playing of it. So anyway, um, went to Sydney Unis, did, um, did a bit of English at Sydney Uni, did a cadetship in Coffs Harbour, Coffs Harbour Advocate. That was basically the same stuff, country footy and everything else. And uh, I just really, really enjoy the writing side of it. Like I, I don't think I'm remotely a great reporter. I've got so much respect for the journos who, you know, chase news and get scoops and all that kind of stuff. And I've never really, I really love the the atmosphere of a game day and the emotion that surrounds live sport and the psychology of it all and what an athlete goes through and, you know, from when they wake up in the morning on a big day to just how that whole thing plays out, live sport, I just find, I find fascinating. Uh, I did a cadetship in Coffs Harbour, went to Narrabri and worked as a year there, which I just absolutely loved. Like, that was the old school, came out twice a week. I was the only journalist, so you'd write a story, take the photo for the story, go to the dark room, print out your photo, hang it up on the little, hang it up on the little thing. There's an old school printing press down below, so you literally feed that kind of butcher's paper into this, into the printer. Paper would get spat out into a tray. It take the papers put them on a basket on the bicycle that was in the corner, ride up and down the main street of Narrabri saying, get your papers, get your papers. Um, so anyway, I love that. And then I got a job at AAP, which was brilliant. And then that opened up this whole new world of, you know, test match cricket tours and NRL, ARL back then and NRL and all that kind of stuff. And that was, um, mate, that was just a dream. Yeah, I remember like the first, first proper gig was the 99 tour of the West Indies with the cricket and then so you go from the old interviews of your school principal and there's Steve Waugh you know and that was an amazing era and if you like, like you know they boil out these people and so you get Steve Waugh one day McGrath the next day Shane Warne the next day so you got all these you probably didn't appreciate at the time but every day is an all-time great mm. <laughs> and you're on tour and there's a test match there and you and that was incredible just to kind of step into that 
Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's it. You've presented me with one uh, interviewer's problem straight away because there's about 10 parts I could, uh, I could venture <laughs> down here from, from yeah, all right. you've just told me. That was, I mean, obviously it's in the family. You're, you're reporting. Uh, you prefer your writing over reporting. The, the journey itself, some of the country stuff where it's, you know, you're doing everything from go to woe in, in the production process, which is, is very cool. It's classic, that stuff, yeah. In terms of journalistic technique, if, if someone gives you an answer as um, far-ranging as that, are you sort of jotting down notes and points you want to hit on throughout their response? And, and then is that the way the interview heads? Yes. Yeah, so, um, right, so if we're doing an interview... I've got, you know, maybe probably half a dozen questions written down because I can tend to lose, I don't know, I can tend to lose track during an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely had a few in the early days where good, interesting athlete, good, interesting thought they were up for a chat, but especially on the phone, I might lose track early on it and you get that awkward silence. I'm thinking, oh, shoot, what was I going to ask them again? And then there's a bit of silence and you figure the best way to, end the awkward silence is to just end the interview. So, all right, all right thanks <laughs> So I definitely, because I used to go in a bit cold and just do it off the cuff, but they, they had a few disastrous endings. <laughs> uh, so but I've only got like half a dozen things written down. I used to have about 20 things, but then I found that that was too structured and I'd be so keen to get into the next thing that I didn't kind of keep going with whatever we talked about, which I didn't know we were going to talk about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So I've actually got a, like a few point. things written on a bit of paper where to avoid the awkward silence, I can just dive into that if I have to. But, mate, it's not like, so I just record everything. Um, shorthand's mm-hmm. no good, all that kind of thing. <laughs> record everything. And, then, mate, there's normally, like, you normally find, don't you, that you, at the end of an interview, even without notes and everything else, there's, you know, probably three or four things that have come up that really stand out to you off the top of your head that you know was the guts of the yarn or the most interesting thing or the most heartfelt thing or whatever. So I don't want to just put the tape on, like put my headphones on, listen to the interview. Do you, um, um, do you write any sort of keywords down as you're going along? Like if they say, like then I might have just written down when you were telling me then I might have written down father, you know, yeah, something like that yeah. to remind me. Do, do you sort of take that route? Mate, I normally, I normally write, I really, I still enjoy writing with pen and paper. Straight after an interview, I'll write the lead on pen and paper, just on a bit of scrap paper or something. No way. So I, you'll jot out a lead straight up. Straight away, yeah. yeah okay. I think straight after the interview, it's all so fresh mm-hmm. and something normally really stands out and something, mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's a nice long chat, like the kind of stuff you do, you can, you've, you've had time to, to kind of, you know, think properly about and get down and do the proper themes and everything yeah. else. But I find straight after it, um, and also I find like a lot of the interviews, they're actually so enjoyable mm. that you're still kind of up. So, you, yeah. you, you know, if it's on the phone, you say goodbye on the phone, and you go, oh, wow, that's terrific, and you're kind of into it. And you, So I'd normally I've got bits of paper everywhere, normally just write down a couple of pars that I think would make the lead. And then, you know, whenever the story's due or whatever, then I just – copy that into the laptop and then just go through the tape and most normally, yeah, normally just goes like that. Like I, I try and... I that might explain a bit, Will, I reckon, like why, you know, it, it feels like you sort of throw your emotions uh, into a story, which is, is a really good thing. It, it shines through in your copy. I guess it reflects what you're saying earlier about how you, you know, you're not necessarily 
interested in the reporting side as much as you are the emotion of the day or the atmosphere of an event. And that rings true, I guess, if, if that's the way you, you're sort of jumping straight into a lead, you're sort of riding the wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that heightened state of the, in the moment. But I find, I always try and write things, I guess, as soon as I can after an interview because I find mm-hmm. that if you, you, know, you might leave things for a few days, that kind of passion that the athlete might have spoken mm-hmm. about in that moment, which is what you feel yourself. And I think it's, I think that's a good time to write it while you're both still in that. Well, I can find a few days later that kind of buzz might have died off a bit and yep. it doesn't feel as immediate. And it, like it's, it's so I find like I try and, but I try and do like a um, like two hour bursts of writing. I find like I struggle to sit down for six hours and write. Years ago, I remember I, had, I only had two hours to write something. And I really stick to this now for, well, I think we've probably all got our little quirks, but over time you, you see what works for you. And, you know, long concentration probably isn't my go. <laughs> but I find if I, so I, I, I sit down and if it's, just say it's 9.14am on my laptop, I write on a piece of paper 11.14am and that's my two hours. And I find that if I've got that little deadline, I can really just go hell for leather for those two hours, knowing I think that there's an end to it. And I think it kind of, it helps, well, it helps me anyway, chop out a lot of the, that temptation to, I don't know, overdo it. Or and, procrastinate. Well, procrastinate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have two hours and I've got the same music I listen to every time and I think your brain just gets wired into, okay, this is what we're doing for these. And I find I can get a lot done in those two hours and then just get up and go away and do something else. So um, you've got a uh, you've got a playlist to you that you yeah like I've got this Hoovy and the Blowfish <laughs> album cracked with you. Mm. I really find two hours might not sound like a lot, but if you've got nothing on for two hours, and I make it clear, everyone else nick off, mm-hmm. come back in two hours. This is what I. But I don't know. I find that helps with things feeling immediate, and you can really dive into the emotions of it, and there's no distractions, and there's no. That no kind of you know things I don't know things dragging on too long or getting too complicated whatever. But uh, I mean also because like, I really enjoy it. Mm. You know, like, it doesn't feel like oh I've done this interview oh I've got to write this bloody story oh what a pain. Mm. Like, I really enjoy especially the interviews talking this kind of stuff you do talking to an athlete for a bit of deeply meaningful kind of stuff. And I also feel like if yeah you know, a lot of these a lot of these kind of high profile athletes don't don't have to tell you their story and they don't have to do an interview, if they're prepared to give you a good whack of their time, then there's, you know, the least you can do is do a good, thorough, heartfelt job. If they've just given you a heartfelt interview, I think you have to, you know, try and try and do the right thing by them and make it genuine and try and actually portray what they're... And, I, and that seems to be easier the sooner you do it, I think, while it's still, mm-hmm. while it's still fresh. I'd be curious to know, we've got an example of one of your stories here, which we're going to discuss uh, in depth today. We're going to discuss a couple actually, but the first one that I wanted to talk to you about was a story you read in uh, February 2017 about Winx, the uh, the mighty racehorse Winxie. Winx. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me for starters on this piece, which was a terrific piece, mate. I really enjoyed it. And it was, I think it summed a lot of the way you write up in a, a lot of different ways, which we'll get into. Yeah. But the writing of the lead you mentioned um, is something that you do immediately. Can yeah. do you remember, were you doing this in the car on the way home? or in Yeah, the- but uh, mate, that was fascinating because I guess a lot of the stuff we do, you know, it's the same sports you've done for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So, so it all can feel kind of familiar after a while. 
But I'd never done any horse racing okay. at all. But the Winx thing had become the Winx thing and it was everyone was talking about it. Everyone. So you, um, were, you were one of those. And I was kind of fascinated by it, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, Captivated everyone, didn't it? Yeah. So, but I was, I was fascinated as a complete outsider who mm-hmm. wouldn't know, you know, the front of a horse from the back of a horse and had never really didn't follow the horses, didn't bet in the horses, didn't know anything about any of it. But I was more fascinated by the effect Winks was having on people, including me. I was starting to watch a bit of footage and just that, you know, champion racehorse, um, all that, all the poetry around, all that kind of romance that just seemed to be around. And that was the first time I'd really, you know, Maccabi Doob and all that black caviar, I'd never really gotten into it because I'd never really been into it. And I had my young daughter love ponies and horses and that kind of thing. And so she, and there was a bit of that. We were starting to do a, go to a pony club and stuff and I could had a bit of a sense of like the pure connection between the girls at this pony club and their little ponies. I could really, but anyway, so but I, I wanted to just go out and see Winks. They're doing a, a dawn session out at Rose Hill. So I said to the boss, you know, for a Saturday column or feature or whatever, let's go out there. It's complete outsider. Let's see if all this romance everyone's talking about and she brings so much joy to the world and blah, blah, blah. I want to go out there and kind of, um, and you get great excess and you, yeah, you write, they, they bring, bring Winks out to the mountain. So you okay. get to, I said, oh, I'm going to look this beast in the eye <laughs> yeah. and so, let's just see if this whole thing's a crock and everyone's feeding it <laughs> or if there is a bit of magic to this thing. And so I took a little girl there as. And we'll, um, we'll I'll interrupt you there. Where, yeah, yeah. where did that um, idea come from to take your daughter? My youngest, well, my youngest girl, Jem, and I told her I was going out there and she said, oh, I have to come, I want to come, I want to come. So I, I said, okay, come. But then that made me think, this is an independent, but she's completely as a young 10-year-old girl. Um, I was fascinated to see it through her eyes, not, not going out there as a, as a journal looking for an angle <laughs> kind of thing. Someone going out there who, if it was boring, she would happily say, this, it's nothing special or whatever. So, 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 so she yeah, was Or the to, alternative being sort of that wide-eyed wonderment that I guess yes. ultimately comes to... It comes uh, Shine through in the piece, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that was going to be so there's going to be two parts of what I thought of it and then what she thought of it. But I was just captivated, couldn't believe it. I think because Jen was there, well, that was if I if there's one yarn that I've really enjoyed writing ever, it was that because it was something you know, me and Jen were up at 4 30 in the morning, yeah, yeah, a bit of an there. adventure with your daughter, and yeah, and that whole mm. kind of thing, but it was really. But I was really taken by, so the first thing you see, Bowman, Hugh took Winks, did a couple of laps of the track so the TV cameras can get their footage and everything else. And I still, it's the first time I've ever been into a racetrack, basically. So the sun's coming up, you know, 5.30 in the morning and kind of out of the darkness down at the end of the, the straight, I think that's what it's called, the straight. <laughs> yeah. That's how much I didn't, but you just hear these kind of thundering hooves all right, coming down, and the and you can hear the breath. Like you, I never knew you could hear the breathing and the kind of mm. the effort of this, and this mighty looking little just went flying past like an F one car. And I thought, wow, that's actually pretty. Like the raw power and the raw, yeah, that was a that was the sight to see. And then they bring Winks around, and it really struck me the kind of the love and the care from jockey, trainer, owners, stable hand the way they cared for Winks, 
you know, obviously Winks was a pretty good money maker for them all. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just worth caring for, but it was more than that. You could, it was a genuine, you know, is she okay? Is she, what's she? And I was really struck by the connection of it. I looked over at Jem, and exactly like you'd say, mate, it was that wide-eyed, like she's looking at fireworks for the first time. Yeah, I mean, right. like, Look yeah. at this creature. And, mate, I was just fascinated and, by it. And, I've and so at that thing. point, I guess it's, it's your task now to not only uh, express how you were feeling in the piece, but to convey that as well. But her as well, yeah. There's something, I think there's something in, like, you know, you cover the test cricketers or the Federers and that kind of stuff. And it's obviously great you get to talk to them and you get to kind of know them and we all feel like we know them and you get their quotes before. Well, I think there's a bit of magic in you can't talk to Winx. So Winx can be whatever you want Winx to be, Mm. really. Mm. And if you, like Winx, Winx doesn't get in the way by opening her mouth and, you know, saying something silly or sounding like a smart aleck or it's all the actions and all the accomplishments and all the, there's no, no thing outside of the actual physical act of what she does and I think there's something that we love about that like like, like imagine a Federer imagine if Federer had never done an interview and the only time we ever saw him was when he walked onto the court played a match with all this beauty and all his grace and we just think oh this is the most beautiful thing we've ever and then he disappears like that's what I feel about the horse thing Like, like we don't have to worry about we can just concentrate on the feeling they give us what they do how they do it and we can make of that what we wanted kind of thing. I think that was, anyway, but that all really, that all really kind of, um, I thought that was, I thought that was fantastic. And yeah, mate, ever since then, that was maybe three years ago, I don't know, but ever since then, I've, I love that whole racing scene, the old trainers, and the absolute heart they have for what they do. It's just a totally, totally unique scene. So that, that morning was, a, was a, it, it was good. Oh, mate, I, I can tell. I can tell you're uh, you're converted, and I, I want to take it from the top here. Um, I'll start reading if you don't mind. Winx is third last. She dislikes a sodden track. She's been hammered by the handicapper. She's come from a terrible barrier. She's out of stride. She's impatient. She's obstructed in front. She's obstructed to her left. She's obstructed to her right. She's a damsel in distress. She's flustered, but she's beautiful. She pauses. She takes stock. She ducks. She weaves. She sneaks into the first narrow gap like a good sort getting to the front of the lipstick queue at David Jones. Now, mate, that's two pars. It's it's such short sentences. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, repetition. You've used the word she or she's 16 times there in 82 (laughs) words. I remember, it's funny you say, because I remember sending it through and that was one of those, you know, you, you write it in the in your heightened state while it's still fresh and you're just banging out this and that. Uh, and it can all, I remember sending it off and thinking, oh my, like, is that just complete gibberish? <laughs> but it works well. I mean, it's a, it's a great device. I think it, it kind of humanizes Winks in a sense, but it also, it reinforces your point. And I, I guess the point of the story is that not only is it being seen through, through Jem's eyes in a sense, but, you know, this is a mare. She has become a, a real darling in, in Australia, in Australian yeah. sport, Australian society. Yeah. And um, in the next part, you sort of continue to personify her in this really feminine way. <laughs> is that uh, as deliberate as I'm making out? Mate, there's not, like, to be honest, not much, not much of that stuff is deliberate. Like, it's not. Mate, feel, You're just right in the wave of emotion, aren't you? Well, it is a bit, yeah. But I think that's good. I think that's... Yeah. Mate, no, well, like, I feel like... So to talk about the writing, really untrained as a writer. Well, I didn't do... Like when I was at uni, I, I was just doing Bachelor of Arts. So I didn't... Like, English was just one little part of 
I didn't go to journalism kind of colleges or what. So I never, like, I feel like there's no set, set method to stick to. And I think, I mean, is that liberating though, Will? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mate, to, to be honest, it hasn't always, like, I'm lucky at the Australian because I've got bosses who give me the freedom to do that. And I've definitely worked for places in the part where you couldn't really, like, at a stage of, you know, working, working for the telly, for instance, and nothing about the telly, but that's not their style kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, AAP, I suppose, is and it AAP, straight yeah, in the news. Exactly, yeah, wherever you're working at. Yeah, it's your job to give them what they need, and that's great. So if you're working for the for the telly, you're writing the telly style. If you're working for AAP, you're writing the AAP style, and that's good. But and then to end up at the Australian, and that's more you know they encourage you know feature writing, I guess, and colour, but just let it. But I really feel like so Wally Mason's editor. Wally makes you feel completely free to write things how you want to write it. And it is massive, enormously enjoyable to start with because you're not you're not writing and thinking, oh, you know, maybe maybe this won't get through or that mm. kind of. You can just completely write your um. And, and like we were saying before, I think the writing I, the sports writing I enjoy reading. Yeah, I'm curious. That kind of freewheeling stuff that gets into the emotion. So, so I figure, I remember years ago doing a tour with Roebuck when I was working for the Herald, and he is such a beautiful writer. But I remember saying once, if you're going to write something, have a crack. You know, like, like you're gonna, if you're gonna write color, write color. Don't hold back. Or if yep. you're doing a straight news yarn, write a straight news yarn. Go hard. But like whatever kind of writing you're doing, just completely go to town on it. And there's a lot of days I'll ring, talk to Wally in the office, or I'll, I'll you know message him, why don't we do this today? And good old Wally will say, go for your life. <laughs> well, mate, like, that comes through. I, I, you don't die wondering in your writing. <laughs> It's like, terrific. And I mean, you know, you're not going to please everyone with your writing every day, are you? But, you know, you wouldn't be in the position that you are if, if you weren't um, respected yeah. and liked as a writer. But mate, um, there's always a few, you know, it, it's not always, you know, I've had, I've had messages in the past where, you know, you might send something through that you've really, like, I can't emphasize enough. It just feels like a joy to do it. One of my favorite things in life is to sit down and write a yarn. I think that with all, with all writers, I think you can tell if they're enjoying what they're doing. Because that comes out in the in the yarn itself, you can tell if someone's you know having fun while they're writing. Because the word there's fun in the words and there's fun in mm. the story. Like, mm. um, but man, I've been, in the past I've had you know I might, I might, I'll send something through, I'll get a message back saying leads are meant to be thirty five words, not eighty kind of thing. <laughs> wow. And then, and then yeah. <laughs> and I think all right, yeah, that, yeah, that's fair enough. And then yeah, I might have to do a bit of <laughs> might have to do a bit of tearing, but there's mate, there's all there's a balance, but yeah, you can't go completely bonkers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I but I do think like most sports lovers who are the people who are hopefully gonna read things, I think we all sports lovers or sports sports writers or whatever, we all love sports for a lot of the same reasons. And I think a lot of that is the emotion it brings out in us mm. for, the, for the athletes playing it and for the rest of us watching it. All that emotion, that is what is also enjoyable about reading about sport. You know, like, like someone like Greg Baum at the, at the Age and the Herald and that kind of, I mean, that, like he's, he's a guy who taps into that stuff. And I love reading, reading his kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll, read, I'll read a yarn from Borny and that'll make me desperate to sit down and write a yarn myself. And so it's like watching, well, I think if you, if you read a really terrific piece of sports writing like like Gideon Hay. You can read that and it makes you want to go and try and write a yarn yourself. The same way as, you know, if you watch the last round of the US Masters, it makes you feel like going and having hit a golf. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's like that kind absolutely. of it stirs up that it's like sport. I think it has certain base qualities in the action itself and it can be in the writing itself that is just fun for people. Like it, it, it's all fun. That's why we love it. 
When did you become confident, Will? I mean, a lot of um, listeners, the young aspiring journos will hear about this voice, right? You know, you you learn to write with your own voice. You've sort of mentioned that you've come along in different ways and different rules and regulations have hampered that along the way at times. (laughs) When were you confident that you had had your own voice and and you were confident enough to sort of express yourself in that way in in your written word? Well, that's funny. Like you have, so I worked, I had 10 years at AAP. And so as you know, like AAP, it's a very straight kind of get your quotes up high straight leads this is the news of the day all black and white and matter of fact and that was that was terrific in its own way but I think you like I do remember at AAP thinking like I really enjoy this kind of thing but there always seemed to be more that you could do a bit more emotion and a bit more colour and a bit more atmosphere and stuff like that but it's one thing to want to do that stuff but it's another thing to kind of find people who let you do it yeah well I <laughs> you remember know? you were you were writing features I remember subbing your work at Inside Cricket Mag back in the sort yeah. of mid two thousands. Were you at AAP at that point? No, no. So I was um, I was at AAP for about ten years, and then uh, I was at the Herald and the Sun Herald, and then I went to the Telly and the Sunday Telly, and then I was freelance for a couple of years, which is when I would have been doing that stuff for doing that stuff for you guys. And to be honest, that was probably when. So free, I found you know freelancers can be a headache. I mean, you just you spend half your time cooking up work and there's always you know things are going well for a month but you then you start thinking about what's happening next month and that kind of, so that was but that was the freeing thing was that you could pick and choose what you kind of wanted to do and how you wanted to do it and I think freelance is when I perhaps started just writing the way I wanted to write and if if people liked it great and if they didn't they would but uh but I don't know like, I, like the whole voice thing I know what you mean and like I can pick up stories from people and more or less know who's written it without mm. knowing who's written it kind mm. of thing so I know, I know what you mean but like there's definitely never been a stage of consciously sitting down and having a good think and saying okay what voice do I want to have or yeah. what is my voice or but it all feels, like, I'm not sure this is very helpful, <laughs> but it all feels a bit kind of like the voice, the voice is there, I think. To start and with. then you sort of evolved and refined over time. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it's also, mate, definitely in the early days, you worry, well, I worry too much about what someone might think when they read it. Mm. But I think there's, I think you've got to be brave. I think some people think that the voice is the colour and everything else. It doesn't have to be that. But I think I'm pretty ordinary at writing a straight yarn. But there's some people who are brilliant at writing a straight yarn. And that's their voice. Like, it's, if it, yeah. I think the mistake could be trying to be something you're not. And I've definitely had stages where I thought, look, if I'm going to be a newspaper journal, I've got to, you know, forget the colour stuff. But A, I didn't enjoy it half as much. So I just kind of, I just found it hard to do. I think you've got to be aware of what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. You know, I wish I could, I wish I was more of a news, I'll probably be more, I feel like I'd be more valued. You know, they are, the news hounds are invaluable and they're brilliant, but that's a special breed. You know, not everyone's got that got that terrier quality in them where they want to know what's happening in the boardroom and they want to know what the contract says and all that kind of stuff. So, so, so I think I think part of it is mm-hmm. try and find people of a like mind who enjoy the same kind of stuff that you want to do and the way you go. So yeah, that makes sense. And with the Winx example, you're sort of facilitating your own passion there in a sense as well. I mean, the, mm. the idea to get up in the dark and head down to to Rose Hill and before it's even happened, I'm sure there's like a, a nice scene being painted in your mind and oh 100 yeah 
I, I wanted to sort of talk to you a little bit about that, the importance of, of those kind of scenes when you can get them in writing. I mean, we, we are right now stuck to talking to people over the phone. and But I'll, I'll read a part here from the story where you're, um, you're on the scene. We're up at 3.45 a.m. We're at Rose Hill just after five. We're awestruck by the majesty of this sprawling Australian turf club venue. We're staring at the stars and the crescent moon. One of us is guzzling back coffee. We can hear the bird song. We can see the silhouettes of horses and jockeys on the far side of the track like they're all pieces of a giant plastic toy set. We can smell the grass and we can detect the faintest fragrance of horse shit from the stables. We're standing in the mounting yard right across from the finishing post while darkness evolves into a vibrant orange and yellow Sydney morning. Someone yells, here she comes. And then uh, you sort of go into the section where you're talking about Hugh Bowman coming down the straight with with Winksy. I've heard some good writers talk about sight, sound, taste, smell, using all these senses to to your advantage. I I get the impression, Will, with you, not much of it is done consciously, but you've done it so well there. Are you an advocate of that? Do you think that that does bring a a story to life when you can implement those elements? Well, so that kind of, so, you know, we're talking about before about, you know, telephone interviews and something and not taking mm-hmm. many notes and things like that. But the opposite to that is, and that's the really enjoyable stuff I find, being somewhere, like being at a live event and being in a stadium or at the racetrack. And, and that's where like, I just take notes okay. nonstop. That kind of thing of, of trying to write it in the present and in the moment is really important, I think, to try and get to get that atmosphere across. So that morning, that morning definitely had pen and paper and just jotted down all that stuff. As it, as it was happening, all those little details, like like details, deep little observations, yeah, yeah. almost like, like if you're reading a great novel, it's all those little details about what a person's face is shaped like or what the smell was over there or like, all those little details. Like the things that make a, a great story in a book can make a great story for a, for a paper. Like live sport, I find, is the best thing of all. And all, like, just, just observations, you know, what, what, what things look like and what the, you know, what the smell was like and little kind of bits and pieces here and there. But I find, like, I love just being at a live event, taking notes of little, little, little details, little intricate details, I find is um, fun to write about, fun to see and fun to try and get across. You do get it across well. Even as you say, you know, I think you've used the momentum really well here. You say um, Bowman has a bright blue light on the right side of his cap. The light is hundreds of meters away, a flashing blip on a radar screen, but it's getting closer now. And she's swinging for home now and she's coming around the bend and down the straight now. And Jemima is jumping out of her skin now and we can hear the thunderous <laughs> ka-clump, ka-clump of a runaway trainer on its tracks and we can hear the racehorses heavy breathing and grunting and we can see the young lady in all her straight back full striding glory you almost read off the page like you're getting really run away with the moment there and it's terrific <laughs> Oh, thanks, mate. I don't know, Will, if you're conscious again, but the rhythm of a story like that where it's suddenly flying along mm. and, you know, is that something you like to try and capture? Oh, 100%. And, and like we were saying before, like writing it as it happens, that goosebump kind of feeling you have in the moment won't last. So the sooner you write it, the more it's going to come across in your writing. And I think the more it does come across, the better. So I remember saying, <laughs> I remember Jim looking at me saying, what's it, Dad? What's, uh, and I said, Jim, I just need 20 minutes. <laughs> Go over there and play with your toys. Give me 20 minutes. And so I just sat down there scribbling all this, look like this and winksy and blah, 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 blah. But work-wise, I remember just being stoked when that was all done because it was on paper. So before we left that morning, I'd written, I'd written all the pars basically of the scenery because I did want to write it while it was still really fresh. And, I, and then, you know, it, was, it was partly, partly felt so much, you know, so kind of colourful and everything else. 
because it was so new. Like, it was my first ever time. So a lot of the stuff that I'm saying, wow, this is amazing. You know, all the all the great experienced racing riders have seen it a thousand times before. So so seeing it through fresh eyes, yeah. I think was um, probably helped. But it was all with all that live stuff or live sport or going to a, a bit of track work like that. I really do find riding it in the moment that you're feeling it helps. I remember that morning driving away and you know it was a beautiful morning with with my daughter and everything else but I also remember thinking uh, the piece of paper with all this stuff written down that we'd just seen and work-wise I loved knowing that it was down on paper because all that emotion you feel in in any given moment it's not going to stay heightened for, yeah. for long once it's down on paper it's it's official <laughs> that makes sense and it's there and so all you whenever you get around to actually writing it so you know I had to bring Jem home and we're Reggie and she had to go to school and so there's a few hours before you actually get to the sitting at your laptop and doing it but having it all on paper in the actual moment felt like it was done and then and then I could kind of switch I didn't have to stay up I just had to basically copy down what I'd written in in that moment if that makes sense poor old Jem would have been tired that night <laughs> she was <laughs> <laughs> An early night, she had that because that was a Thursday morning. I didn't do a lot of the writing of it till probably the Thursday night or the Friday morning, but that was okay because I'd had a record of the emotion of that moment, and then going back to the notes kind of brings it all back again, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I do, I really, I hadn't thought of it, but thinking about it now but if I'd caved into the pressure from the gym and got straight back in the car and headed home without getting all that done in the moment I think it would have been a, a lot tamer without yeah. that yeah it's a good lesson well I think a lot of us could take something from that and you also managed to uh, compliment it or the co-owner Debbie Kapitis yeah. inadvertently complimented it for you with some really nice quotes I mean yeah yeah it just fit in really nicely she she talked about the personality of Winx yeah. you know the, the impact that she's had on people and and that she yeah. She really is, you know, almost more than a horse to these people. Chimed yeah. in beautifully. Did you just sort of feel like you could just let those quotes run for a while because they yeah, were so, so Yeah, well, she was good. I mean, well, the, the funny side to it was, so I, like I said, I've never really been to a racetrack full stop and I've definitely never been there as a jerk. So they didn't know, they didn't know me from her. So it was kind of, <laughs> so it was kind of a high, you know, Debbie, I've, I've worked for the Australian, like, like, you know, to be 100% honest, I wouldn't have a clue about any of this, but I just really like it. <laughs> so it was like, so it was kind of uh, like for Debbie, it was kind of going back to the beginning and almost doing, you know, winks for dummies, yeah. <laughs> like a complete greenhorn. Wouldn't know the first thing about it, so tell us about it. And I think that helped. And it was genuine, I think. And she, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember her face lighting up at just talking about that kind of stuff and the most basic, you know, to her, to, you know, Debbie and the owners, and her, it had all gone past the stage of, you know, Wix being this beautiful, beautiful kind of new thing on the scene. And it was all, you know, streaks and all that kind of more serious. So, so I think she enjoyed going just going back to the basics of, this yeah. is great. How long has this been going on for? Kind of <laughs> but then, will you? You kind of finish with your daughter. You bring your daughter back in the final part where you say, what do you reckon, yeah. Jim? The nine-year-old yeah. staring at the car window at about 7.30 a.m. She thinks she's woken from a dream. She knows what has really caught the eye. She understands the power of a first impression and she's no longer lost for words. She can pinpoint exactly what makes Winks a mare beyond compare. Dad, Jim says earnestly, she's so pretty. She's just so beautiful. Yeah, it was fun. I remember that really. So we got back in the car and she's a pretty chatty kid and she just kind of went quiet, like kind of, oh, that was, and then she slept for a while. <laughs> and then, but if Jem didn't have to be part of the yarn, but mm-hmm. I do remember 
I remember saying, so, so, you know, what did you what did you think? And she just, you know, that age, you can cut, you know, my 1,500 words of waffle, she <laughs> kind of sums it up in two sentences, just so, I cannot think of a better description of Winx and that whole morning and that whole scene and everything else than she's just so beautiful. And like, like I thought, I remember thinking, maybe I should make that the first part because that sums up everything. And there's, what's that old Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut story about, you know, the, the great fiction writer who I think was doing a magazine piece or something and he went to the cover of the horse races and one of the horses jumped the fence and took off and he basically sent back to the office, the horse jumped the fence and disappeared full stop. Like that, that was it. Like <laughs> nothing else to say. And I kind of felt like Jim had summed up the whole thing in she is just so beautiful. Yeah, and yeah, it, was um, a, it, was, it was a beautiful way to round it out. But it's a good one. But Malcolm Conn, the old cricket writer, used to do, it, and he, it, Mal used to talk about stinging the tail. Mm-hmm. Stinging the tail being a good last line. So I do. I love reading his story that finishes like a novel might finish. Mm. In that it has has a proper ending. Like yep. it doesn't just tail off with a couple of quotes. Yeah, and that old the old thing of if you're going to um you know cut a yarn, you cut it from the bottom because it gets less interesting as it go. I think it, it's. I think it's great. Like, like you want the stuff either. You just want to structure it so there's a good proper ending, and you almost want people to get to the end and think, ah. Oh. So you got like, a satisfactory re- resolution. Yeah, and like, there's a lot of time, and that's again get it, having having editors who will let you do what you want to do. Because a lot of the times, a lot of the times, your best line is almost might almost be your last one. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. you've got to trust your editors, and you have to know your editors well enough that if they're running tight on space and you have to lose a few pars, that they're not going to chop it from the bottom. Oh, I think it worked out. It worked out really worked out really well. And uh, one uh, other piece that I do want to talk to you about, Will, much more in your wheelhouse, I guess, in terms of sports, which is surfing. And um, you did yeah. a really nice piece on it's a longer piece on Steph Gilmore, the back end of 2018. And oh, I imagine the stories about well, what she refers to as the incident, where she was attacked near her home and as she was coming home. And I mean, that, I imagine even getting that story, mate, was a pretty big deal in the surfing world. Let alone the sort of detail that she went into. Yeah. Uh, pretty harrowing stuff um can you tell me a little bit about how that all um transpired yeah yeah, yeah. so um so that, I, mean, I, I guess that's that's the dead opposite isn't it the turning up at a race course and not not knowing that one end of a horse from the other to the I, I remember covering Steph from her when she was a rookie basically teenage rookie happiest person on the planet yeah. and now she is um 15 years later or whatever Steph's become Steph and so the, the thing we have a long-standing you know, working relationship with someone, and there's hopefully a bit of a bit of trust as is part of that. You know, like yeah, you, know, yeah, which you can't, yeah. you can only get by having done interviews with an athlete before. And it's not, it's completely not about you know being a fan and you know always writing positive stuff, but just writing fair stuff. Like there's been times where you know Steph's had rough years on the tour, and you know if you if you if you turn up to an event and Steph bombs out, you have to say it, Steph bombed out, and what's going on? But there's a yeah, they're all they know fair from you know just over the top criticism or not understanding or not at least trying to be fair and reasonable in the way you remember but anyway so I knew Steph kind of from covering surfing events over the years but then this thing had so she was attacked assaulted like a brutal attack outside of home when she was completely you know almost unbeatable in surfing completely changed her life and her career and all that kind of stuff and She'd never really, and it, it happened years earlier, and she'd never really talked about it in detail. Yeah. And that stuff, 
and I know it's the stuff you do and all this stuff, but that kind of stuff is so enjoyable to do. So that was for the week, that was for our magazine and they're, you know, 4,000 word pieces. It's a harrowing thing for the athlete to talk about. It's the worst time of their lives. Yeah, you know, Steph and I knew each other, but it's not like we're best mates who have a coffee every morning kind of thing. Yep. But I mean, in a way, it's from the writing point of view, it's quite seamless because it's all set up beforehand. So if you're doing... So step one was telling our magazine editor, I think there's a terrific feature, hopefully, if Steph... So it was all based around Steph was going to win the world title again for the first time in however many years. So we could time it to do the complete Steph Gilmore story, run it on the weekend that she would be trying to win the world title again. She was going to equal Lane eventually, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So yeah, this was two months beforehand, but we knew at the time Steph would be big news because she was about to, especially if she won the title and all that kind of thing. So two months before it, we thought if we can get the full, I said to Christine at the magazine, if I can get Steph to tell all about the worst time of her life kind of thing, now she's back having good times again, that'll work well. But so, so that kind of thing, if you thought, yeah, just ring, ringing up and saying, hey, Steph, let's talk about talk about the time you, you nearly got mm-hmm. killed. It's all, I knew Steph well enough to, you know, run it by her. So in that way, it's easier. So you, I ran it by Steph. Let's do this. If you're willing enough to be open and honest, I give you my word that I will do my very best to say the story in the right way. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be you know, parts of it that you may or may not like all of it. And a lot of it you probably would rather not talk about ever kind of thing. But mm-hmm. if you put your heart into the interview over a couple of hours, I'll put my heart into the yarn for you let's see let's see here we go so approach it will i'll I'll ask you there though do you get the dreaded can we see the copy mate you can do but but not with steph no okay and the the surfers like it's they're a bit of a different breed like so steph's like there's no managers you're going through and that kind of stuff they don't really steph's sister kind of looks after her stuff i guess and i said to steph like did you know do you want to do it formally do you want me to run it by Whitney is a sister and said, no, stuff that, no, we, let's, let's, we'll, we'll just work it out ourselves. I guess that's where the trust that you've established comes into it as well, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. I think there's yeah. a bit, yeah. And Steph said, um, she thought about it for a while and she said, yeah, sure, why not? And I find with a lot of that stuff, a lot of the harrowing stuff, the people who have been through it, they are actually happy to talk about it. It's a yeah, freeing okay. kind yeah. of thing. And I think it, a little bit of a so, therapy session. Yeah, 100%. Or Mick Fanning's mum talking about, you know, Mick's two of his brothers have died, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Liz, this beautiful woman, she, I remember asking her years ago about first Sean Fanning died. And I remember doing the same kind of thing with her. She gave just this emotional heart on the table interview, everything. And I brought me to tears as she was saying it. I remember afterwards sending her a message saying, look, Liz, thanks so much for being so. And she said, no, no, it's, I'm so glad I've done it. And I feel yeah, kind wow. of like to be actually talking about yeah. it. and to, So I find that they love talking about it. But I guess there's, they need to be comfortable in the environment that they're, and it's going to be handled with care. And and then, but the, like the, the copy, like I've done features where people have wanted to see the copy. It changes the whole dynamic. So I yeah. always say, we can't do that. Because <laughs> as, you, as, you, as you're trying to write it, you're thinking, well, are they going to like this or they and that's not the point of it so yep. it's, it's, it's either on or it's not mm. but there's no dramas with that with Steph but and, it was and more- we'll see Will when, when you did start talking about it I mean the first uh, 500 words or so of the story it's detailing the incident and it's mm. like it's horrible stuff but it's gripping stuff and between her quotes and you sort of telling mm. the story filling the gaps when you're asking not sure if you remember but are there a lot of follow up questions a lot of clarifications or was she really yeah. detailed from the get go 
Well, she was pretty detailed and it helps with, as you know, like these, so it's all, it's all set up in advance. So Steph knows what I'm going to ask her yeah, about. Yeah, it does help. She's given it some thought, obviously. So she knows what she wants to say. So I think in those kind of, you know, where the, the topic of the interview is all known, it's not like you're, you're turning up and throwing questions that they weren't and they're a bit caught off guard. Like she knows what the interview is about. Let's sit down and talk about what happened to you. And in a way, they're the easiest interviews because you just guide them in and let them go to start with. So what you were attacked, what happened? What, what happened that night? And yep. you just let the tape roll. And then you just prod. Like, and you prod, yeah. And then you she, you know, she, she's just a beautiful human, Steph. If she's going to do something, she'll do it right. So she knows, like from memory, I asked her a question at the start. All right, let's get straight to it. Let's not have any small talk about what it is. We were in California. Let's just get straight down to what we're going to talk about what happened and yeah, okay. I think she talked for about five minutes at the start of it but the same thing like I've got a few I've got a few notes there just to make sure there are no awkward silences <laughs> did you get enough to the point where you were satisfied I mean did you say to her at the end of the conversation now if there's anything I need to clarify can I send you a text or oh, yeah, a call? All, yeah 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 there's definitely that but I, it was you know it was all set up so you know it might take a couple of hours so you, know, you sit down and you get comfy and you have a coffee and you so it didn't feel like we're under the gun you got to rush through it so every possible part of it that, that I wanted to talk about we got to talk about yeah nice um, so there's no real I've got to move into the surfing scene mate it sounds oh, I know uh, what I've made it's a good scene <laughs> but there's no I don't know there's maybe a few texts about you know checking checking what school it was that she was at and uh, yeah that kind of thing but yep. no it was all like she was um, like that was just a dream interview because she's okay She's a bit of a dream human being. She'd already agreed to put it all out there. Were you um, quite surprised at the the level of detail that she went into? I mean, as she yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. But you know, I think she just had it in her mind that she was she was going to tell all. She was a joy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that made her emotional thinking about it again. You convey that nicely, Will, just with a simple line right at the start. You know, you describe her in three short sentences. You just say blue jeans, white T-shirt, big hair, and then ocean-coloured eyes with small brown specks that resemble grains of sand she does not wish to rinse away. But then you say she taps her right foot on the stool when she talks about the incident. Yeah. I, I guess you're putting us there on the scene and you're saying, hang on, this it's not an easy thing for her to revisit. Yeah. And then you yeah. use that again later in the piece where you flick from the past, where you're tracking through her career, and then you come back to the present by, again, talking about her tapping her feet on the door. Yeah. Um, it, it's a good way to keep us in the story or to return us to, to present day, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, we, we talked about a whole career and a lot of, a lot of stuff other than just that. Just yeah. Incident. Yeah. And that was all, you know, love and light and this is amazing and surfing with the dolphins and winning world titles and... Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And that it, was, was, it was amazing though how she said um, she almost willed it into existence. She was like, yes. can I do this career without losing? Like nothing is going wrong or something. I found that fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And actually that was, that was when I thought like she's actually really, you know, going into detail here, like the psychology of yes. thinking at yeah. the time, everything is perfect. Surely something's going to go wrong at some mm. stage. And that, I found that fascinating. Like she, she felt too. like, She'd almost brought it on herself about, yeah. you know, thinking what can go wrong, what can, what can, or something's got to go wrong at some stage, something. But the, the change in, you know, the super happy Steph, which is 99.9% of the time, mm-hmm. talking about a love of the ocean and love of the sport. No. And then, but when we go back to the incident, as she call it, there was that, and I just kept seeing it, started, you know, that little nervous thing we do yeah. when there's something in We're the back of you. slightly uncomfortable. Little, 
gremlin there that makes you a bit twitchy. Yeah, it was funny. That, that really stood out, at the, stood out at the time. I guess I touched on this a moment ago, but she's telling you all this incredible stuff. Is the story already coming together in your head? Like, was yeah. this another situation where you were, by the end of it, you were busting to uh, pull out the pen and start writing this lead? Yeah, there was it. Well, yes and no. Well, it's a different, that's a, that's a different scene, isn't it? Because you're, I mean, it's basically a quotes-based mm. piece in that you're getting an interview, which might be a half-decent interview. So the whole point of that is to let the quotes mm. run. And so the, mm. the, the person you're talking to is the one who's telling the story, basically, and you're mm. trying to trying to fill in the gap. So there's, but there's definitely like as soon as we finished, I was doing, and you know, in that, in that scene where you're sitting sitting across the table from someone, it's just the two of you. You're having a nice chat, you're having a coffee, and everything else. You don't want to be sitting there taking notes the whole time. Like nah, it's yeah, tough. You, you want to you want to feel like it's a nice chat. Yeah, the tapes on, but you almost forget the tapes on. You're just chatting away. But you don't want to be sitting there taking notes yeah. the whole way through. Yeah. But so with that Winksy one, like I told Jem to get nicked for twenty minutes <laughs> while I could drop my note. Well, I remember so Steph straight up. So we finished. It was at that Kelly Slater Wave Pool in California, and then so Steph went off to have a surf. I remember as soon as she as soon as she walked away, and yeah, I was very thankful. I said, "Look, Steph, I did, that's you know very. You've been so open and mm. so giving, and I don't think you could have given more in an interview." So. I just, you know, really appreciate it. But then Steph's gone and that's when I sat down and was just proudly trying to all the little, and that, the foot tapping thing, from memory there was uh, like the first, when I'd gone there to meet her, there was a, a wall that said, do not lean against the wall on it and super cool Steph was leaning against the wall. You know what I mean? Like those little observations, I think, and that's that's the whole point of, you know, travelling there. Being there, yeah, yeah. To, that personable stuff. Yeah, that, that was more a quotes-based yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. There's quite a stretch where you just allow her to recount the story. You know, yeah. there's the occasional line from you, but it's her words because A, it's it's a compelling story, but B, she she really told it well, didn't she? I mean, she's said, yeah. quite eloquent. Any hard and fast rules around that, Will, or is it a gut thing where you just, I, I don't need to be interjecting here? You know, after an interview, how good the interview has been, and I guess, mate, the, uh, the better the interview you've done, the less writing you have to do, mm. basically. <laughs> you know, if you're sitting there writing about a day of test cricket and you haven't spoken to anyone yet, you have to do all right. But if you've got a if you if you've got a good long interview, you have to step back a bit, don't you? And and just let the interview run. And especially, you know, if someone's as eloquent as Steph is, you just let her do it. And like in a way, like that was all quite quick to do because it was basically a bit of the scenery of that, you know, where we were and what she was like and tapping the foot and yada, yada, yada. The recollection. It kind know, of made sense the, to go bang straight into it. You know, well, the same yeah. as you said about the conversation, like this is what we want to read about. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, you know, people, if Steph Gilmore's done an interview, People want to read what Steph says. Mm. <laughs> you sooner, yeah. the sooner you get into the quotes, the better. So just let Steph say it. And that, mate, in a way, that was an easy one to write because there probably that what there wasn't that much, you know, actual writing. So so, so this is what Steph was like. This yeah. is what she looked like. This is what the incident was. Let let's let Steph talk us through it. And like you say, I guess the fact that she was so well-spoken and so open is a, is a major help yeah. because sometimes um, if people want to read about what a sportsman's saying, they're not probably usually yeah. quite that helpful. I mean, <laughs> it, it requires some uh, paraphrasing and some uh, interpreting. Actually, I remember the hardest thing being, and it's the bane of all our lives, isn't it? Transcribing. Transcribe, yeah. I, mean, I reckon one minute of discussion is about four minutes of transcribing. <laughs> so, so two, a two-hour interview, that's about eight hours of transcribing, and you end up with 
50 pages of uh, anyway. I'm definitely one who, after an interview, I like to smash out the transcribe. And one yeah. thing with the transcribe, though, I do find it, it helps thoughts percolate. Yes. You know, you sort of write that sentence. You go, okay, that was a good point. I don't really remember him saying that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you yeah. kind of can make little notes to yourself along the way. So yes. I guess it has that advantage, but yeah, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, what about, Will, I, I guess you have sort of specialized with tennis and surfing, particularly in, in more recent years, mate. Do you think it pays to specialize? Do, is that a good way for uh, young journos to see their careers or do you think it's good to start broadly and then see what happens? Um, mate, I would say for job security, because, I mean, it's, because it's such a volatile industry at the moment, like if I, if I was starting off now, I'd want to be a specialist beat rider, as they say in America. Well, because yep. I think I think if you're a gun rugby league rider, that makes you pretty indispensable in a way. And if you're a gun cricket rider, like, like the best, I definitely think to start with, specialise in something big if you can. There's always going to be a need for a league rider the rugby rider, the cricket rider, like those core AFL rider, those core sports. And I was saying, like, I just did league only to start with and then cricket only. And A, it's hugely enjoyable because you get to feel like you know that scene really well and you get stories that you might not know just because you're immersed in that scene. And I really think, I think there's, there's so much to be said for specialising. Like I'm a bit older, I'm at the ripe old age of 50 now, I roam around a bit more and I mean, that's enjoyable but you, you can also, I do sometimes miss just being a cricket writer, for example, because you, like, you, know, you get to know the coach so well and mm. the players so well and you, you can write a lot of really good stuff because you know that scene so well and because there's a big demand for it from the papers or from the yeah. websites or from yeah. wherever you're like, there's always going to need a test cricket, for example, is always going to need specialist writers. And at the moment, I just columns, I guess, or feature on, you know, whatever's around. But you, you can feel like you're kind of tiptoeing in the things that you don't know a heck of a lot about. And then you're tiptoeing in again. And A, that really enjoyable in that there's this big, beautiful world of sport out there. So, you know, if there's something big happening in F1, you can write about F1 for a couple of days. And then if something bigger comes up in tennis or golf or whatever, you can write about that for a couple of days and then tiptoe out of that. So this is like this evolving, you know, a bit of NBA or a bit of whatever. So it is fun to get into that kind of stuff. But I also feel like I don't you know, have that in-depth sense of you know really knowing each sports scene at the moment so, so it's a bit of I mean it's quite like a bit like the Winksy thing you, so Winks I felt like had completely fresh eyes and I think that helped yeah and so a lot of the stuff so you it cuts do, both you ways. feel like you, but, but you end up feeling like you've got fresh eyes for everything yeah yeah sometimes you know if you're writing about a person or it almost doesn't matter your the in-depth knowledge of of a sport isn't a necessity because yeah, yeah. it's a person that you're writing about at the end of the day. You're not, Amazing. and your descriptions of an atmosphere or a, at a sporting event or yeah. things like that. That's uh, no matter how, how much in-depth knowledge you have of the sport, it yeah, can't true, necessarily yeah. convey to a, a nice, yeah. you know, description of, of an event. And, and it is, it is, there's definitely a common element to all of them. Oh, it's amazing how many yeah, okay. great yeah. athletes in one sport have got so many similar traits to the great athletes in the other sport. And like, you know, a great atmosphere at a you know NBA finals game is basically the same kind of atmosphere you get at an Ashes test in mm. that 
people are into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And you've got great athletes that you're watching and you yeah. love the sport and there's a lot of skill on display. And so so from one sport to another, like there's a lot of common common kind of threads and you can turn up yeah, you can turn up to a to an event and think, oh, I've got no idea what's going on. I, I don't know who who's who. I don't know what's what. I don't know what's going on. But in a sense, it doesn't matter. I think if you love and enjoy a great sporting occasion, it doesn't really matter what the sport is or what the occasion. Like I went, I went to the Melbourne Cup of all things last year. You are a convert. Terrific. Yeah, and, yeah. You, and you start, but there's like there's it can be not much different to to going to a Wimbledon final. Mm. Now, it's a big event. All different athletes have their storylines. Someone wins, someone loses, someone's stoked, someone's pissed off, someone's been robbed, someone, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah. for any sporting event, I suppose, classic example is an Olympics, you know, turning up the table tennis. Where you become a handball expert for three weeks. Is that 100 yeah. like, you know, like the, I'm going to the, to the ping pong, the table tennis. Yeah. And that I find that fascinating, mm. the greats in whatever sport it is. And there's this table, the Chinese table tennis player who we'd never heard of, obviously, but, you know, the world's greatest ping pong player. Can't speak a word of English, so you can't talk to him yet, but it didn't matter. Like just watching mm. a great on a table tennis, mm. you can feel that, you can see mm. it. And yeah, not everyone can transfer it to words as well as you can, though, mate. One thing I did want to ask you, Will, we, we're asking every guest this one, dead or alive, who would you love oh. to interview? Deep dive in, two hours with, just or sit for the day, who would you fancy? I knew this, but I was trying to, you know, a funny thing, I was, I was thinking about this last night because I saw you mention it, and then um, and then I won't bore you with it. I, for the first time, I started watching the Jordan documentary last night. You know, yeah, what, however long after everyone else. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I'll just watch a quick episode of this. I put it on at 8 o'clock. At 1 a.m., I finished, I was up to by everywhere I've got to. Speed. So yeah, I completely wow. got, completely forgot about trying to, well, this, this is completely off the top of my head, but I think that a lot of the athletes going around now are as fascinating as anyone who's ever, like, like, like that whole. I mean, that documentary, just because it's so, I've just watched it. I mean, that is, you know, the Jordans, you know, Tiger Woods, Federer, who else have we had? You're saying, but like, I mean, the all, a lot of the all-time greats have been the current greats. I mean, yeah. how, how lucky have we all been that we've been able to watch all these kind of, you know, 50 years ago and who would you, the the, uh, the Betty Cuthberts and the... Yeah, maybe a Pelé uh, or a... Or a Pelé and all that or, kind of thing. Yeah, but mm. that's all I mean. I'm sure they'd be great to have a couple with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Serena would be someone I'd love to yeah. sit down and say, because well, she's, she's so hard to crack from a distance, you know what I mean? So I, we would basically only see... So yeah, the, the, the majors tennis. Serena walks in in front of a hundred journo's. Yeah, gets the questions. She says what she wants. She says whatever she wants to say or doesn't want to say, or and then she's off. She would be the all-time great that I don't think we probably know from what we see of her. Yeah, you know what I mean? and I think yeah. there would be. I mean, she's a fierce kind of get out of my way athlete, like Jordan. I mean, like a full-blown, the full-blown Serena story. But I, I don't know. I, I think there'd be. Yeah, I like that one, Will. I think there'd be a lot of emotion and a lot of backstory mm. and a lot of unknown motivations and you know a lot of things that she's gone through that she's probably only just touched the surface with yeah you just got to peel those uh layers yeah back. so if there's yeah. a way to sit down with serena she All can right. have a baby sitting on her knee she would say just tell us everything or she would be you know a powerful powerful interviewee well i can't promise i'll make it happen will but i'll, I'll see, <laughs> we'll see what strings i can pull <laughs>
<laughs> Mate, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Riders Hour. You've been a terrific guest. It's been good fun. Terrific. Terrific, mate. All the best. Good, man. Thanks, Will. Cheers, mate.